well, well, welcome to Between Sundays. I'm Marin, and as the mother of two teenagers, I'm here to describe for you in detail every single thing that's wrong with young people these days. I'm feeling aggressive. <laughs> that's right. I'm lobbing truth grenades from behind my middle-aged barricade of Facebook, sensible shoes, and a mid-sized SUV. And Barry is here at the ready with truth grenades all his own, talking about humility and self-giving love. You better rejoice. <laughs> but before we get to that, now that he is 15 years past the age of adolescence and nine years past his peak of strength, please welcome your favorite elder old gray beard himself, Barry Rodriguez. Good day. Oh my word. Good day. Marin, that was the longest <laughs> intro we've ever had. You better rejoice. <laughs> That was amazing. Marin, that was a piece of artwork. You you don't know how much fun I have writing these intros. <laughs> <laughs> the we highlight are, of the high point of my week. We're definitely missing Tyler, but that that was <laughs> that was something else. That was amazing. How are you doing, Marin? <laughs> I'm doing okay. How are you doing, Barry? It's just the two of us today. Here we are. You and me. Here we go. We've done this at least three other times, right? Sure. Where it's yeah. just the two just of us. Just the two of us, but we'll be all right. Look, we're trying, you know. Tyler, you, you got to see Tyler, didn't I you? I did. His uh, son had a birthday party. <laughs> Lane had a birthday party. So I got invited to that. So I was over there. They had like a animal person come and bring a bunch of animals in buckets. Or I guess they were in like Tupperwares. I don't know. Like, like they kept a Jack pulling out. Hanna? Like a... It was... Like an exotic animal yeah, yeah. person? They had like... Like a tiger everything king? From, uh, yes. It was like a tiger king, <laughs> mini tiger king. They had like everything from tarantula to a chinchilla to a giant, massive uh, snake, giant snake the size of the room. It was pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. So all the kids were freaking out, touching all the animals and- Wow. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty fun. I've been to one other such party yeah. and I think it was for like- Somebody's 40th or something. <laughs> but like his that's wife. What, that's what Olivia was saying. She's like, I don't know why this has to just be for kids. I feel like adults would actually really, yeah. if it was like educational and, and so anyway. Yeah. Well, you've got a birthday coming up. Yeah, I do. Big <laughs> three, nine. Don't that's hold the year back. Of, of animal uh, parties. Yeah. Just yeah. keep the bunnies away from the snake, I guess. Anyway, they, he seemed to be doing well. He's got a new haircut. He <laughs> seemed very relaxed. He said he's finally... Tyler, uh, what are the, what are we about one third of the way through the sabbatical? He says he's finally kind of getting used to the new sort of yeah. temporary reality. He's starting to go and get some work done and he's, he's doing some classes like work is in, like he's studying some stuff. He's doing a little bit of art, some writing. So he seems to be enjoying himself from what I hear. I cannot believe we're one third of the way through already. Yeah. That seems like it's flying a lot. And it like I blinked. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's how January goes. So Anyway, so he seems to be doing all right. Friends of the pod, if you're worried about him, he's fine. He's fine. He's, and he'll he's be fine. It's us that you should be worried about because we're <laughs> having to do two more months of between Sundays without Tyler, without his firm and, and steady guidance. <laughs> <laughs> I messed up the intro like three times. Yeah. Yeah. I went to hit the uh, intro music on this machine and instead I hit split hooves. That's, that's, <laughs> that's how, not that's actually the intro to this podcast. You began this podcast. Anyway, what else is new with you? What's new with me? Uh, oh, shoot. I'm going to pull a Marin hey! <laughs> and say, I don't know what else is new. I, I've been kind of hanging out. Uh, we have some new foster rabbits in the house, and one of them is very cute. His name's Mango. We call him Mr. Mango, and he's very, very cute. He's a little lop with a little lop ears. He, he's like orange and white spotted with like 
these little tiny black, uh, I guess, freckles almost on his back. He's very cute. So bunnies have freckles. This one does. Wow. It's like some weird, like I'm sure his great grandfather bunny was like all black and I don't know, but anyway, it's good times. I don't know. We're just continuing to care for our animals. The pigs are ready for spring, but, uh, they have built the most epic nest imaginable. We have this, this infrared light that someone gave us, which we have on when it gets really below freezing and stuff. And they, they've set up shop under this light and they just build this, they have uh, blankets and hay and they, and they just built this massive nest for themselves and they all pile Rabbits in there. Rabbits and camels? Yeah. Yeah. They did it. They all pile in there and people have started donating blankets to us. So we keep giving them new blankets here and there and they just, they just add it to the pile. So it's really, really cute watching them like in the giant pile. And they're all like, some of them are completely under the hay and you just mm-hmm. see like a little bit of, that's, it's very cute. So <laughs> that's, that's it. But I'm ready for the below freezing temperatures to be over. Cause I'll tell you yeah. getting up in the morning. Oh my and goodness. While the coffee is brewing. I when get up. do you get up in the morning? Oh, I don't get up that early, but like on a normal weekday, like six 30, maybe that's early. Six thirty-seven. That, that is that early. But then I like take care of the bunnies and then I take care, <laughs> then I'll start the coffee and I'll put on my, my coveralls and my hat and my waterproof winter gloves and head out there and feed them all. And it's, it's totally what we bought and, into. And so. you enjoy that life. This is some days the life you want. This is the life we chose. <laughs> I don't know that I always enjoy it, but with the right, I don't know. It's not terrible. It's fine. It's mm. fine. And it will be spring soon and we'll, it'll be so much more pleasant. So yeah, it's fine. How are you, Marin? That's, that's, I got nothing <laughs> new to share. That's about it. What about you? What's going on in um, your world? What is going on in our world? Let's see. I mentioned the two teenagers in, uh, in mm-hmm. the opening. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaden wanted for his 18th birthday. Now he wanted to do like an ancestry oh, thing. Interesting. Like he wanted to know yeah. the things, um, which I could have told him. And I did tell him many yeah. of the things. But I he didn't well, trust you. You know, grandpa was Mexican and you know, your other granddad was African-American, but mm-hmm. he, he wanted more specifics than that. So we let him take the test for mm-hmm. his 18th birthday. He got his results two weeks ago Ooh. and didn't tell us. <gasps> what? He why? didn't tell us. I don't know why. Probably because he's an 18 year old boy. He's just in the fog. And he just comes yeah. and goes. And that's how I see him as <laughs> yeah. like this blur past my eyes. But no, he finally told us he actually sent us a link uh, to what they are. And it's some of what we expected. Sure. My husband, we know my husband's Norwegian. Yeah. So Jaden's got 23. I was just about to make a joke of him, of him like heading out the door saying, by the way, mom, I'm Norwegian. He but is Norwegian. He actually, that's crazy. But that's the part we Should've knew. Said it. We knew that. Yeah. Um, I guess it was cooler for me because again, I know that I'm African-American, but like a lot of African-Americans, I can't, I couldn't have told you what sure. country or, or what, what you region know, nation or, yeah. or region or anything yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. But turns out we're Nigerian. Really? We just found that out. Wow. Amazing. This weekend. That's really cool. So now it's like all we can say as we walk about our house, absolutely everything has to do with, you know, it's cause we're Nigerian. <laughs> everything that we say That's has so to do with that. But I mean, it's just been super fun. That like cool. the kids are now, I guess, more interested in even things pertaining to history now mm. that they know mm. um, and have like some idea of geographically where our ancestors came from and it's exciting and it's cool to watch them get into stuff like that. That's really cool. Ours was a little scandalous when we got it. My sister and I took it. It was like a Christmas present a year or two ago. And it said the, our Spanish heritage, like the actual, we know we literally know the village. My great grandfather came from, but it only was like 5% Spanish. We're like, that can't, 
Hmm. Unless they came from another part of Europe uh-huh. and settled there. Yeah. But like there's no family history of that. I huh. mean, their last name is Rodriguez. So yeah, yeah there's uh, that. I don't know. It's very <laughs> confusing. So who yeah. knows? Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Ours says indigenous Americas, Mexico. Oh, which is cool. Cause like, I know exactly uh-huh. who that is. And yeah. it, even just that kind of makes you smile like, Oh, that's my grandpa Garcia. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's right there. You yeah. know, yeah. somehow they can tell that through your spit. Well, super cool. <laughs> it's, it's through the DNA <laughs> in your spit, but yes, they yes. see my grandpa yeah. in my son's saliva. That's, that's super cool. That's really interesting. Yeah. I did read somewhere though, that like, like South America mm-hmm. is tremendously more difficult to identify mm. because many of them will have African heritage yeah. from coming over and um, settling or being enslaved or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, that, that like, if you're Argentinian, sure. it might not show up that you are, or your family is like from Argentina. It might show up that you're from Europe, the Ivory Africa coast or something and, like yeah, that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. really fascinating. Yeah. And yeah, we're, we're just getting started. On this mm, genealogy this, journey. <laughs> That's really cool. And if for another started. like forty nine ninety nine a month, you can find out other people who are actually related to you. Yeah, but sure. It's like, do I want to spend so much money to know that? But yeah, you could. Yeah. It's always anyway, an option. That's, that's the buzz. That's interesting. That's the buzz that's in our really home. That's really cool. Yeah. Wow. Well, you gave the message this week. <laughs> I sure did. Let's just get into it. I don't it know. Was, There's uh, not much else to share. Well, you know, we're, we're having this intergenerational discussion about teenagers and parents and bunnies. Yeah. And yeah. Let's just keep going. Let's keep going with that. Yeah. Would you give oh, us- Oh, can I ask you though? We haven't, I don't know how much we talked about this. No, no, no. How, how have rehearsals been going with Little Mermaid for you? Oh, so fun. Yeah. Honestly. Honestly, you know, from my personal perspective, I don't have like a big role in this musical, which is mm-hmm. actually super great. Yeah. I am dancing alongside my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my um, bass players from the worship team is in in yeah. the musical. So it's just kind of cool even to get to hang out with some of my worship team folks yeah. outside of the context of Thursday night rehearsal or Sunday service. We're just right. hanging out in the lobby for hours on end and doing ridiculous things that we wouldn't normally do together. Like. Right dance. (laughs) It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Amy says it a lot. You know, typically we do these productions in the fall. Yeah. This is our first time attempting to do one in the winter. (laughs) In the last, right? If I understand. (laughs) (laughs) In the final, um, which I think will be nice to give our people, like we've already sold over 3000 tickets from what I understand. Yeah. Um, I think our people are excited to, to not be pent up in the winter time. And I, I think that makes sense. But when it is nine degrees out (laughs) and you've got to drive to rehearsal and all you want to do is be at home under your brand new king size electric blanket. Oh, that has changed my life. Wow. Changed my whole life. Wow. Um, It can be hard to get to rehearsal. But Mm. once you're there, I'm always surprised at how quickly the time flies. Sure. You're just you're engaging in different conversations as you rehearse. Mm -hmm. Lots of laughter. Um, You're sweating because you're dancing and dancing (laughs) is hard. Yeah. Um, trying to now combine the singing with the dancing. Oh, I'm yeah. once again reminded of how impossible that is. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. I can't hold the note for as long as they're wanting me to hold the note because yeah. I can't breathe because yeah. I'm dancing. Well, as crazy as it is to say this, I remember that because I was in show <laughs> choir in high school and I remember getting to the end of a song and everyone's like trying to hold your jazz hands and you're just yeah, gasping for air. So um, well, yeah. that's cool. I'm glad to hear that. Liv, yeah. Liv is in, is in the show as well. And she's having the time of her life. And it's the first time she's ever done this. I, you did, uh, you did Mary Poppins last, did. last yeah. time, whenever that was, yeah. D- does this, how does this compare? 
Um, it's it's a little less intensive, I think, from a chorus perspective. Mm-hmm. I feel like Mary Poppins had big numbers in Act One and Act Two, and mm-hmm. I think that kind of makes sense for the setting. Mm-hmm. There's Jolly Holiday, and you know you're you're waltzing through the park and, yeah. and things like that. From a chorus perspective, I don't think there are quite as many all cast numbers. Sure. There are more songs like what Olivia is in, like an ensemble piece uh-huh. and then a different ensemble piece and a different ensemble piece. And they're super cool. A lot of it you'll recognize from like the Disney movie mm-hmm. from when we were kids, but then there's a lot of songs in there that I've never heard before that right. are unique to this musical mm-hmm. itself. And some of them are even better than the songs we know from Whoa. when we were young. Sweet. Um, the one that your wife sings, I won't give too much away, but it's not, in the Disney movie right. that we know. Right. And it's by far one of the best songs in the whole show. Oh, that's awesome. It is. I can't, every time they rehearse it, I stop what I'm doing to watch it. Cause oh, it's that's so cool. Amazing. Well, Anya Burke, right? Yeah. Uh, she's Ariel and she sang this weekend in service. If you guys missed it, you got to oh. go back and look it up on the live stream or I know we posted it on grace Instagram somewhere. It was spectacular. Yeah. I had not had a chance to actually hear yeah. her sing. And I was like, Wiping away tears at the end. And I was like, well, okay, this yeah. is going to be incredible. So absolutely, I think we sold 2000 tickets just on Sunday <laughs> after people heard it. So yeah, uh, yeah it's going to be amazing. Yeah, you can so. still check that out on YouTube. It's yeah, really, her voice is just captivating. Totally. totally. So it's not too late to get tickets. Gracechurch.us slash theater. Do we do, uh, Ashleen's in the room as well. Is it theater R-E or E-R or both? <laughs> Thit- both. Thit- so Theatre. Well, I think it's the British and the American spelling. Theater. Yes. The, yeah. There's theater and theater. theater. Either one will work. So cool. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now we can get into the sermon. Okay, I just thought we Barry. could uh, could go there. So yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us. Uh, remind us, if mm. you will, for anyone uh, who wasn't able to to hear it, or someone who wants to be reminded. What was your big idea for the message this past weekend? Yeah. So I was. We were wrapping up the series this whole series about selflessness, self-giving love. The series is called, it's not about me. And I felt it was important to touch on the aspect of selflessness as it relates to the different generations, because, uh, it seems to be kind of part of human culture that older generations look down on younger generations, younger generations look down on older people, but that's not what is meant to happen in the church. We actually both generations are needed to, to care for one another, to set themselves aside if the church is even going to survive. Mm-hmm. And so we looked at a passage in first Peter, first Peter five, where in the context of persecution and, and trials and suffering, Peter says, look, older, those of you who are elders specifically, who have a role to shepherd the congregation, you got to essentially, you got to set yourself aside. You've got to practice self-giving love and lead from as a servant. Uh, and then he says to the younger people, and you've got to accept the authority of the elders. You can't be, uh, you can't just run around and do everything you want. You've got to accept the authority because, because this is a time of crisis and every one of you needs to have the same posture as Jesus, uh, one of selflessness and servanthood. Um, if we want to survive. And I, I took that and I kind of brought it to our day. And I, I shared a couple of thoughts that I had for those who are older at grace and those who are younger at grace and shared some of what I kind of am asking of them as we, as we attempt to, to move this church into a, 
a future that is uncertain because of the chaos that we're living in right now. It's not persecution, uh, but it is definitely a very chaotic, challenging time. And I think some of the same principles apply. If we, if we want to survive to 2050 and beyond, then we, those who are older and we, those who are younger need to learn how to set ourselves aside uh, for the sake of each other. So that was basically my message. Yeah. So you asked two main questions um, around first Peter five, one through five. And yeah. so I want to get to those questions, but I want to set us up just by reminding us of that little chunk of scripture. So I'm just going to read first Peter one through five, and then we're going to break it down. First Peter um, five, one through five. That's go it. For first it. Peter five, one through five. Yeah, go for and it. We'll break it down. Um, so, okay. So your, your main passage of scripture said, and now a word to you who are elders in the churches, I too, Peter says, I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he's revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you can get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So my first question, yeah. who are these elders? Because I, I think in the past when I've read this passage mm-hmm. of scripture, I have replaced the word elders with pastors. Mm. And I've assigned this to church clergy specifically, sure. you know, sure. you, you elders, I'm a fellow elder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're supposed to, um, what is it? Care for the flock. Pastors mm-hmm. care for the flock. Yeah. But I think you were setting the tone of, okay, this isn't just those who are church clergymen, but really this is, right. this is all of us who would be in that older generation. Perhaps. So I don't think specifically he's, he's talking to all old, older people. He is talking specifically about a role. However, in our sort of modern Western experience of church, an elder or a pastor is only a small portion of the actual congregation. Like at Grace, we've got what, seven pastors, uh, nine lay elders, and we're supposed to be shepherding thousands of people. Mm-hmm. That That's not what it would have looked like in the, in the, uh, in the ancient world. Most likely uh, there would have been house churches all around. And maybe in a region, they would have had one overseer that would be kind of the bishop or so to speak, that would be over the, all of the different house churches. But most of those house churches would be small communities, maybe 10, 20, 30 people who would each, they would, those small communities would have a, at least one elder. And that elder would be somebody who is appointed or chosen by that community to be the shepherd hmm. uh, over that community. And so it's interesting because you can kind of, this is one of those things. The Bible was written at a time when everybody just knew what you were talking about. We have to kind of piece it together from some of the context clues, but based on this and some of the other uses in the new Testament, it's clear that some elders were actually compensated for the the role because they knew it was going to be a lot of work. It was challenging. So they would actually receive some compensation, which would lead some elders to try to become elders to get the compensation. And that's not what like, that's not why you should do it. That's one of the reasons he says, uh, don't do it for what you're going to get out of it. Uh, because it's not about that, you know? Uh, and so that was, that was a dynamic at play. There were some places where, uh, elders were, were looking to 
to usurp their, the authority and be able to call the shots and stuff like that. And so Paul talks a lot about the characteristics of someone who should be mm-hmm. an elder. So it, it's a, it's clearly a, a, it was a very important role, but it wasn't like, don't just think pastor over a church of hundreds or thousands. It's, it's a person who has care over a smallish flock of people. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what an elder was. Yeah. yeah. I was curious enough to look up the word. Yeah. Um, and I was surprised. So again, if I'm here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, I look up words by going to Bible hub. There you go. Biblehub.com yeah. will tell me what all these words mean in their original language in the yeah. Greek. And so this was the word, uh, pres- presbyteros, presbyteros, presbyteros yeah, yeah, yeah. something mm-hmm. like that, which was like Presbyterian. What? <laughs> yeah. I've heard that word before. Right, right. I love word connections and sure. I like geek out over stuff like that, but it, it basically means somebody mature, mm. somebody aged. Mm-hmm. Um, and according to the definition, it had more to do with life experience. Yeah. Um, the maturity that comes with life experience. And I was surprised that it wasn't a noun. Mm. It's an adjective. Mm. So I keep thinking of elder as like, you know, the position, sure. the title, sure. but it really was a description mm. of somebody who is mature and possessing more life experience. Yeah. I, I was not expecting to see yeah. that it was an adjective. Yeah. And one of the commentaries I, I read pointed out the fact that in some Jewish communities of that same time, it was very common for, you know, if you had, if you were the Jewish community in Colossae or something like that, there wouldn't be that many of you in a Greek area. And so the, the sort of elders of that community would have been something of like the leaders of that community. And again, the, the life expectancy is 35 at the time. So if you're in your sixties or seventies, you are one of the few that have made it to that level. And presumably (laughs) you made it, you did it. You did it. You avoided all of the early uh, deaths that would have befallen you. Um, Anyway. So, so yeah, it's, it is more of a, I I could see it being more of a one-to-one where if you are able to be an elder because you've lived that long and you've built your, your reputation in the community, then it's not that much of a stretch to say that you should also be a Mm-hmm. leader of the people. But when I say that, I also think there are plenty of people who were, who are much younger, who were appointed into a role of overseer or elder. And so it's not purely a one-to-one correspondence. There are, in, there are examples we can see of somewhat younger, maybe forties or fifties, but younger people who are uh, given that role. So. Right. And you opened your message with first Timothy four twelve. Don't let anyone think less of you yeah. because you are young. Right. And here was Timothy, a younger guy. And yeah. And he's in charge of, and he's shepherding the, right. the flock. Right. 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 So give us a little bit of world behind the text. Then I think I was, I'm, I wasn't surprised cause I, I'm a little bit familiar with first Peter, mm. but the persecution mm. that was happening at the time that would have driven Peter to see this intergenerational love between the generations as so vitally important to the survival of the church. Yeah. Well, he talks about it in rather broad terms. He says, uh, if you look back in chapter four, he talks about uh, suffering for being a Christian. He talks about fiery trials. He talks about uh, pain, insults and things like that. What, what helps me imagine this is that there was like organized state run persecution that came later, like in the, you know, years after the original apostles had died, where it was like Nero and all those like Caesars were actually endorsing the organized 
murder of Christians. So that's a, that's one thing. This, what he's talking about, I would say is probably a stage before that, Mm -hmm. which to me is very reminiscent of how much persecution is happening in say rural India, where a lot of these, um, local Hindu leaders will rile up gangs of people to intimidate or to, uh, knock down the doors of, or to burn the church buildings of Christians. And it's, it's, it's more about like trying to, trying to scare you, intimidate you away from your faith. And people will, they'll leave the faith because it's too much. It's too risky. Sometimes it's, it's a person will be maimed. It'll be beaten in the streets. Sometimes it's their business will be set on fire. Like it's, it's persecution in the kind of, uh, extreme bullying to try to bring fear. And it's, it's terrorism in a sense to, to bring terror to those who follow Christ. And that, that's what I'm imagining this kind of persecution was. And so Peter is able to say, look, this is happening all over the world. He says, um, in verse nine of chapter five, he says, remember your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. This is happening everywhere. Now there's pushback. Um, and by the way, isn't it interesting that that's the context for that verse, uh, stay alert, watch out your great enemy. The devil's prowling around like a roaring lion, mm. looking for someone to devour. I always heard that in the context of like, don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was about some sort of like personal morality, but Peter's putting it in the context of like, look, the evil one is trying to undermine the church. Yeah. So be alert, stay yeah. on your guard. Cause it's they're They're out there. His followers are out there trying to undermine you. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, when you look and you see that right before and right after you get the sense, okay, what Peter's talking about here and probably even more in the whole letter is he's addressing a church in crisis or a church that's starting to experience the heat getting turned up right? and and he's trying to give them guidance on how to survive and how to, how to thrive in the midst of that. Right. And while you were quick to say, you know, we're not facing that kind of persecution in our day here in, in this country or here in central Indiana. Right. We are facing a crisis of a different kind. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it has to do a lot with the fact that some of the, the, the ways that things have come rather easy to us, uh, you know, do you remember in the nineties and the early two thousands, the seeker movement, mm-hmm. the seeker sensitive movement, it was built on this idea that there's a, there's a category of American people who are just wandering around looking for answers, looking for truth. And if they could just be brought into our church, that, that then they will seek and, and they will find mm-hmm. what we will have to offer them. Well, that there's, I'm sure still some seekers out there, but the, but the bigger demographic that we're facing right now are nuns, religious mm-hmm. nuns, people who are willingly and, and they're not seeking, they've made their decision that not, that I'm not going to be religious. I will not, you know, believe in Christianity or whatever. And, and along with that is a huge, a huge group of people who, we talk about the credibility gap, people who absolutely have negative opinions of Christianity or that they're not, they're not like one, you know, good argument away from, from giving their life to Jesus. They are, they're quite far away from ever even wanting to have anything to do with Christians. And so with all of that negativity and all of that, uh, uh, that doubt and, and it, we've lost the sort of easy access to people who are like, well, Jesus, who tell me more, you know, it, it, that's not, that's not what we're facing anymore, in my opinion. A, a side note to that, you know, I think as you're talking about that demographic, the nuns, the people who just don't believe and even refuse to believe, yeah. um, there are, there are names and faces that come to my mind that might come to your mind. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, for the listener, there are people that we can think of that we know are 
described in that way. There, mm-hmm. there are people who, um, yeah, not only don't believe, but, but won't believe and, and refuse to believe. Um, my husband told me on Sunday, he bought, uh, four tickets mm. to the little mermaid yeah. for his friend that fits that description. Mm. My husband is the least, uh, likely to ever voluntarily <laughs> go to a theater <laughs> production of any kind, unless his wife and daughter are both yeah. somehow featured in it. Both. It um, has to be both, right? <laughs> but his friend's little girls yeah. are really interested in theater and yeah. acting and he That's knows cool. that they will love this production of ours. And so again, just kind of bringing it back to even what we talked about 20 minutes ago, one of the reasons we do events like this is as an invitational event, a friend who probably would not take Jed up at the offer of visiting church on the weekend is somehow going to encounter um, Jesus, even if it's through the smile and the handshake of one of us, you know, in attendance. Yeah. Um, how cool anyway, Yeah. that you just reminded me of that story, just talking about the nuns. Absolutely. And just so I'm clear, when I, when I talk about the fact that people aren't curious or whatever, there is still, I believe, and always has been a, a deep desire for truth. Everybody has that and everybody's longing for, for hope and for life. And so there is an opportunity for us to impact people's lives. And it's not like we're facing an, you know, insurmountable obstacle. The, the, the question though, is whether we are, are helping to close that credibility gap or whether we are perpetuating some of the things that cause them to not want to be a part of the church at all. And if we are just as divided along generational lines as everybody else, that's one more reason why what we have to offer really isn't much of anything to Absolutely. people. Right. So that's yeah, yeah. part of why I, I agree with Peter that this is actually a pretty fundamental thing we have to figure out. And it's indicated in the decline of church attendance mm-hmm. nationwide. We've talked before on this podcast about different Pew research studies and things like that. This one came from Lifeway research. Um, the average U S congregation gathers in a building that seats around 200 but only 65 attend the median church each week. This Mm. means that half of all churches have fewer than 65 people in their weekly worship service. And that that has dropped drastically in the last 20 years. In the year 2000, the average uh, church congregation was 137. Wow. And now it's 65. Mm. When you use words like crisis, I don't think that you're being hyperbolic. I think- Sometimes, again, depending on where you live and maybe you go to a a big church that's packed full of people and you think everything's fine. But when you look at what's happening nationwide, the church is absolutely in crisis. Absolutely. Um, Where I come from um, in Chicago, I would say most congregations um, that I was in close connection with had fewer than 65 people, mm. fewer than we, mm-hmm. we were running maybe 40 on a good week. Yeah. Um, and some of these congregational changes that I saw, um, again, these weren't like large non-denominational churches. Let's take my kids Lutheran school, for example, mm-hmm. they were established in, I want to say the early 1950s. Sure. When that area of town was largely Lutheran and yeah. it's just what you did. You just went to church. Well, smash cut to like 20, 10, 2012, when my kids were kind of going through that school system, the neighborhood had changed completely. The church had not figured out this crucial intergenerational piece of how to mutually submit to one another. And Mm -hmm. that church is gone. Sure. When we moved here to central Indiana, 
it was still a church and still a school mm-hmm. in the five or so years that we have lived here, that church has ceased to exist. Wow. Wow. And I mentioned at one point, like trying to imagine a church yeah. that has no, that has none of the, the energy and the passion and the new ideas and the new perspectives of youth. And that church is going to die. Right. Yeah. I also mentioned imagining a church that is absent the wisdom and uh, the experience of years and the, the it's absent the, the gener the older generation, those churches, I mean, we can all think of probably very youth obsessed churches or ones that are just so young. They are vibrant. They're exciting, but they're like a supernova. They blow up in, and then they're gone because of some, there's a huge moral failing of the leader or the leader is not uh, submitting himself to older older mm-hmm. Christians or, or everybody starts having babies and they don't know what to do because they don't have a children's ministry and think that everyone just goes where they're going to be able to have better programming yeah. for their kids. It's like, yeah, I was part with, of that church too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it just, I, I can think of so many examples of churches that maybe don't die in the end, but like they have one big meteoric rise and then it just, it doesn't continue yeah. because they don't embrace the multiple, the, the gifts of multiple yeah. generations. Yeah. And so that leads us to your first main question of why? Yeah. Why, why are we supposed to be an intergenerational church? And you suggested that the answer for us is in Ephesians uh, 4.16, that he makes the whole body fit together perfectly mm. as each part does its own special work and it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is, I love this, healthy and growing, full of love. That's right. And you said, don't we want Grace Church <laughs> to be healthy and growing and full of love? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and that, and that applies to all aspects of diversity, intercultural, intergenerate, all of it. Yeah. It, all of that is part of what it means to be the kingdom of God. But in this particular case, I'm, I'm convinced that a church that is only focused on an older generation will calcify and lose its, lose its impact. A church that is only focused on the younger generation will drift and we'll, we'll miss the mark of what it means to be the church of, of Christ. They need the wisdom and, and those who are older need the energy. And again, I'm, I'm oversimplifying. Of course, there's energy with people who are older and there can be great wisdom in those who are younger. It's just, there's something yeah. about human experience that, that shifts what you are able to offer at different points in yeah. your journey, in your Absolutely. life. Absolutely. And again, I've seen it all over the place, maybe more so because of where I had lived before, but there was, um, the oldest reformed church congregation in Chicago mm-hmm. was in, I want to say Berwyn right there. Um, and it was, it was closing its doors mm. as we were mm. leaving Chicago. And so or I think of my grandparents, Nazarene church, yeah. I, I think of all these churches that we're thriving even in my, my youth, even mm-hmm. as a kid, I'd go to vacation Bible school at my grandparents' yeah. church. Yeah. But then I watched those churches struggle yeah. to stay relevant. If, mm-hmm. if that, if that can be said, or, um, to find a way to kind of keep families within their midst as, you know, I, my, my grandparents were always going to be members of that church, no matter what, sure. you know, sure. no matter what they, they were loyal to that church but that generation has since died Mm. off. Mm. So I don't know. This is, this is something that weighs heavily Mm -hmm. for me personally, because of how many times I've seen churches not figure this out in time and then they close their doors. Yeah. Yeah. And every church, whenever there's any kind of transition, even whether it's, it's a generational transition of leadership, whether it's 
uh, a change in the way that the the weekly worship experience looks or whether there's a massive global pandemic that gives every <laughs> single person a reason to say, you know what, maybe I should move on. I did just get an electric blanket. <laughs> Anytime there's a big transition, it gives people an excuse to consider, should I continue doing this thing or should I move on? Sometimes they'll leave to go to a different church. And in the case of COVID, many, 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 many people have just sort of said, you know what? Nah. Right. And so, yeah, that's what we're up against. So the church is not our church and the church of America is not necessarily being threatened by an outward persecution, but there are other things as we've listed plenty of other things that are threatening the Mm -hmm. very existence of the church or at least the the health of the church. Yeah. And so the, the why we're supposed to be intergenerational can, I think be a little bit easier to see. Mm -hmm. Of course we believe that, you know, each part is doing its own special work and we're living in such a way where people who are different than us can shape our lives as we shape their lives. That's all fine and good. I think most people get hung up on the how. Yeah. Yeah. Practically speaking, what does this look like? And Mm. Your suggestion came from John chapter 10, verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. Mm -hmm. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. That's right. And so is that the answer? We, we all just sacrifice our lives. Well, yeah. In a, in a (laughs) nutshell, I, the, the reason we're talking about shepherds is because that's the metaphor that Peter uses to talk about these elders. So you are shepherds and, and you're not, there's not your, it's not actually your flock at all. It's the flock that God has entrusted to you. Yes. Which led me on another etymological study. Yeah. I was struck in first Peter five verse four, Mm. when the great shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of never ending glory and honor. And I was like, great shepherd. Yeah. He's the good shepherd. Everybody knows that. Why did he take the time to distinguish him as the great shepherd? Um, And so I looked it up again, Bible hub guys. I'm not a genius. I just know how to use the internet. And it said chief shepherd. That's right. So we are all shepherds. We are the elders caring Mm. for the flock, but really we have a boss and he is the chief shepherd. And when he shows up- It's his flock. We're working for him. That's right. Yeah. Right. And when when he appears, we'll receive a crown of never ending glory and honor. The- the great shepherd. Yeah. I don't know. That just struck me differently. Yeah. It's interesting. I saw that same, that same thing come up in, yeah. in one of the commentaries. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, you mentioned, do, are we all supposed to just, you know, sacrifice our lives? And the thing that I pointed out is he says, those who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And when you're young, that's the hardest time to be humble and accept the authority of those who are older than you, because you want to move fast. You want to get stuff done. You've got big ideas. You want to, you don't have a whole (laughs) bunch of regrets from mistakes you've made. You're ready to just dive in and figure it out. And so it does take humility to say, no, I'm going to submit myself to the elders, those who are older than me. And I've experienced that. I, I, when I first came in as the sort of candidate to become the successor to the senior pastor during my five year job <laughs> interview, uh, I had to very significantly submit myself to the authority of literal our actual mm-hmm, literal elders, mm-hmm. as well as those who were pastors ahead of me and, and had been doing this for a really long time. And there were some moments early on, I remember where there, something was, was bothering me that the way we were doing things or something that someone was criticizing us about. And I was like, come on, let's go, huh? let's get on. I just wanted to like, like we just, let's move. Let's move a thousand miles right now. Cause we could do it. We can make it happen. And that doesn't sound like you at all. Oh, well, I'm a seven. <laughs> so I like to jump from one idea to the other, but, but, but I was 
Uh, we can do this. <laughs> yeah, we can. <laughs> but I was uh, quickly and gently reminded that things like moving too quickly of a big, uh, a, a big ship, moving a big ship too quickly means you might break the hull. Mm. Uh, I was reminded that, mm. that people need a lot more time to transition through change than you might think that they do. Uh, I, I, they, yeah. a lot of wisdom from people who've <laughs> learned along the way and, to, to the point where now, even this last couple of years leading through COVID, leading through, through a transition of a significant restructuring, like I, I was able to help our team take it slower and not do things too quickly and too rashly and help people give, give them the, the time to transition. That was because I had submitted myself to the wisdom mm -hmm. of those who are older than me when all I wanted to do was just go, go, go Yeah, years ago. So yeah. Um, I know it's not over and that's why I continue to submit myself to the elders and continue to submit myself to those who are older than me. But, um, but yeah, it was a huge learning experience yeah, for me. Absolutely. I'm laughing <laughs> because again, um, with the two teenagers at home, yeah. one who is 18 and I don't care what the Mishnah says, he is not ready, <laughs> not ready for the, for the bridal, bridal chamber, chamber. <laughs> not ready. I yeah. made sure to look him in the eye at 11 o'clock on Sunday and say, he's not talking about you. You're not ready. But no, I mean, the older they get, they, they are sweet kids. They're great kids. Yeah. I have nothing to complain about. My kids are wonderful. Mm. When they were younger, they were so, so wonderful we kind of just kept waiting for the shoe to drop. My husband right. and I would look at each other and be like, you know, this is all going to go away. Like they're going to rebel at some gonna point. They're going to get like 14, 15. They're going to think we don't know anything yeah. and you know, everything's going to fall apart. That has happened <laughs> to, to some degree. Officially. And when it happens, it's so remarkable. Like I, I can't believe the things that come out of my teenagers yeah. mouths on occasion. Um, we've had such occasions with the, the 18 year old man boy where it's like, I can't, I can't believe that that logically makes sense to you. Yeah. I just yeah. can't even put it together. The other day I was, I always talk about Desi on this podcast cause I know she'll never listen. But the other day we were driving, practicing driving and she stopped with the stop sign about like four or five feet behind her. Oh, whoops. and I'm like, okay, well you're going to want to stop in front of the stop sign. Yeah. That's what that uh, line is for. And the, she said, yeah. quote, the stop sign will get over it. <laughs> That's amazing. It's amazing. That it's amazing. Is, yeah. I said, when you get pulled over and the, the officer comes to your driver's side window and you say, you know, officer, the stoplight will be fine. All yeah. right. It'll yeah. get over it. It'll get over it. Yeah. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. That's, that's what's wrong with kids these days. <laughs> kids these but days. But you're telling me there's hope. You're telling me there's hope. There's hope if they learn how to submit themselves <laughs> to you as you learn how to, how to humble yourself sweet and sacrifice Lord. your life for sweet them. Sweet Lord, sweet Lord. Yeah. yeah, it does. I mean, that's, and again, that's why I think it's, I think that's why Peter has to go here because there are mm. some things that are just baked into different stages of our life. We are more impulsive when we're younger. We are, we have, we are less uh, worried about risk. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> you like think you're, yeah, like your retirement <laughs> accounts, literally that's how it works. When you're younger, you're, you automatically are investing in much more risky stuff. Uh, and then when you're older, you're, in, you're doing less, less risky stuff. It's just, that's just how it seems to operate. So, yeah. um, and yeah. there's, yeah, we need, we need the ability, we need younger people who are willing to take risks. Otherwise we will never grow and change. Right. But we also need to have that tempered in a time of crisis by wisdom. Yeah. So. All right. Well, you said older and younger generations 
modeling the self-giving love of Jesus, that is how the church makes it. And so we're still talking about, about the how, Mm. um, you described it as, well, I guess here it's described in the end of, uh, in the same way you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders and all of you dress yourselves in humility um, because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And you talked a little bit about what that looks like, a picture of what dressing ourselves in humility can look like. Yeah. And are you looking for a sound clip? I always, I'm so (laughs) slow. Basically you were talking about the towel and tying the towel. Uh Uh-huh. As Jesus, As Jesus likely did or, yeah. or did. Well, he did. The word is not used in John because it's it's written by somebody else. But the image that Peter uses here, the word is to dress yourselves in humility is literally to to tie a towel or apron around yourself in a way that a slave or a servant might do. That's the, that's the specifics of that word. And it is something we see Jesus doing when he washes his disciples' feet. Right. Yeah. Okay, this thing just doesn't work. I'm giving up on the sound clip. Giving up forever. Which one was it? Um, it was this one. Gird your loins. <laughs> <laughs> because it literally means to gird. He's yeah, telling us to dress yeah. ourselves. He's telling us. Um, and so, again, in my little word study rabbit trail, a, a slave was set apart, visibly set apart mm. from a free man mm. by the sash that he had tied to Mm -hmm. his inner vest. Mm -hmm. So if they're walking through the marketplace, you can point out who was free and who was humble, who was a slave by, by having that towel tied around their waist. Right. And so when Peter is telling us to dress ourselves in humility, Mm -hmm. that's the imagery he's using that we as Christians or the, the community of Christians in that day would be so immediately recognizable Sure. By their humility yeah. that they have gird your loins with <laughs> that they've girded themselves with. Yeah. And it made me wonder, what is that what does that look like in today? Mm. Like I know times when I can intentionally try to practice humility. Mm-hmm. And it's a real inward thing. Sure. But what is it what does it mean to be outwardly recognized by our humility? Mm. That's good. Well, again, what we talked about was this just a week ago when we talked about loving your enemies? I think when it comes to humility, it's less about action and more about identity. It's more about, about shaping, being Mm -hmm. shaped by the humility of Christ by becoming like him. And so then when you are encountering people or whatever, the actions that come out of you naturally are self-giving. And and so, um, but yeah, I think, I think dressing yourself with humility, like Jesus intentionally lowered himself. He had every right to be the boss, to be the big man, to be the the leader, but he lowered himself to the lowest possible position and served those following him. He just inverted everything. And I think in our lives, when we encounter other people, it may look like, uh, taking like intentionally setting aside our own opinions of what we think is best and allowing another person to have their opinions. Or it might look like, again, getting into specifics, if you're older and you don't like how, the music that the church is using, or it's not, it's too loud or what, like setting yourself aside. How do you serve those who are younger? Is this Mm. what is best for them? If so, what does it mean to set your own desires aside? If you're younger and you are frustrated that the church isn't saying the things that you wish they were saying, because it's what everybody on your social media feeds is saying, maybe it means setting yourself aside and saying, well, what are, are the other older members of this congregation ready to hear the things that I believe or, or the opinions that I have, is there a way to, to move forward where, where we're not 
you know, just poking everybody with a sharp stick, but actually, actually moving us forward with love. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's a, I think it's a constant perspective shift mm-hmm. of saying, I'm going to look at you and, and look for, for how might I serve you? How can I lift you up? Trusting that you are doing the same with me. It's the race to the bottom that I yeah. always talk about. Yeah. I witnessed this at different points in my lifetime. I've talked about this before. My parents, um, had a a music ministry. They were both in like a alternative kind of rock band. Mm -hmm. Um, but they did that as a form of evangelism. And one of the things that they did in conjunction with, with that was opening their home. When I was little, we did it every single Friday, um, from like 1990 up through maybe 1999. Like Mm. it was, well, it was every Friday when I was little, Yeah, a huge party at my house, which could have meant anywhere between 65 to 125 people Mm. crammed into a three bedroom house. It was a pretty modest house. Um, my mom would put out Doritos and soda and red solo cups and people of all ages would come to this. It Mm. was a place for teenagers to hang out. It was a place for adults who didn't want to hang out in the bars to, Mm -hmm. to go hang out. Um, and as this, this thing went on for a few decades. I watched some generations come and go, mm. which was also very interesting. When I was a little kid, it was my parents' friends. Yeah. When I was in high school, it became my friends, mm-hmm. but my parents' friends would, would still come. And then when I was out of high school and kind of into college age, it became my sister's friends, mm. but my friends would still go and I sure. would still go and sure. my parents' friends would still go. And so over time it became this intergenerational mm. hangout night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there'd be clusters of people talking in the kitchen and talking in the den and talking in the living room and talking in the basement. And it was just this very organic way for, well, I guess I, I wouldn't have identified it then sure. as, oh, I'm looking at intergenerational community. Yeah, Isn't right. this fascinating? Right. Um, but I for sure was. And even as, as of last night, my husband and I were talking about what, what that meant and how could we develop something like that. I think as our kids, my son will graduate high school this year. Mm -hmm. He plans to go to college locally. Mm. As we have young adults in our family very soon, what will community look like for them? um, And how can we play a role in that? So again, this is just things that we think about um, Mm. quite a bit. And you mentioned a few different ways that we are seeing that happen sure. here at Grace. You mentioned the care center, you mentioned worship arts. Yeah. The musical. Yeah. Cast. The musical. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I wonder where do you see that we have room to grow in this? Well, I think we're doing, we're doing well when it comes to service opportunities. Our serving teams are generally more intergenerational. It's great. You know, we've got some awesome uh, adults, who are leading small groups for high school students and middle schoolers and and kids. And that, that's great. That, that kind of service oriented thing is awesome. I don't, when you talk about that sort of organic and generational community, other than maybe, maybe in like a, like an all church picnic type thing Mm -hmm. where we've got kids running around and older people sitting there, like other than those types of things, I just don't see it happening much. The Mm -hmm. organic stuff where, where people are inviting each other to each other's homes and there's relationships happening. Generally, when you look at who's hanging out with whom in, even in the lobby after service, you see people the same age talking to people the same age Mm. in general. I'm Mm -hmm. being, I'm very broad strokes here, but that's one, that's kind of one sort of 
thing that I could imagine. I, when you talk about it, I'm like, man, that would be awesome if that started to happen here. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I wouldn't have made the distinction, but you're right. We see it in our serving teams, but Mm -hmm. this thing that was happening at my house the whole time I was growing up, there was no service element to it. It was just people who needed a place to hang out and liked hanging out with each other. And right. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Now we, when we do rooted, uh, which is our, our 10 week sort of small group intensive experience, uh, we do intentionally try to form intergenerational groups. We don't, we kind of move, we've moved away from trying to put all the young families together and all the, the people in their sixties together. We mm-hmm. try to have them be more. So that's another example, but, but that's, I mean, a lot of people have already gone through rooted and, and so that's mm-hmm. not necessarily something that everybody wants to do. So yeah, we've got some room to grow. I did also give two kind of big, very sort of large scale uh, calls to the mm-hmm. different generations. So yeah. uh, we could talk about that. I, I spoke to those who are older and I, I let everybody do you, when you heard those two, <laughs> did you have a group Marin that you thought I'm in that group? Listen, I am squarely in the middle of the road. Yeah, I me know too. where my feet are planted. It's <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty young for having teenage kids. Yes. So I will put myself in the older camp because mm-hmm. a few gray hairs have popped up as of late yeah. and I do get frustrated at the youth of yeah. today. Yeah. So I will put myself <laughs> in the older generation camp, yeah. but I'm not silly enough to think that I've got like all this age and wisdom. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah I'm definitely. That, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. And that's why when I, <laughs> I was talking to both groups, I decided to speak yes. from the opposite group for as, as to the older generation, I spoke as someone from the younger generation to the younger I spoke as an older, an elder. Cause I am, I am not on that I'm not much on TikTok. Old gray beard so, himself. Old gray beard. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Have you noticed how much gray is coming in? Genuinely. I'm like, wow, it's happening fast compared. Maybe just cause I look at myself in the mirror daily and I just am used to seeing it, but like, it seems to be happening pretty quickly. I think so. I, I really, I'm having fun with this stage of life. Cause like Jed will do the same thing and be like, look, look right here. Do you see this? <laughs> yeah. There's a gray right yeah. there. This is fun. And well, I'm leaving them. I'm not plucking them out. No, I'm, I'm keeping staying. them. Gray. I'm going to be salt and pepper. And my hairline will just keep receding away from my, <laughs> my face. Anyway, I, uh, I think perhaps because I became this, the, the second senior pastor, second lead pastor at grace, most of the context about me was how young I was and, oh, he's just a kid. He's only in his thirties. And so it's easy for me at, in the context of grace church to think of myself as someone younger, mm-hmm. but I'm almost 40, like I'm 39 in March and 40 is is that's a, you're a full on grown up at that point. <laughs> so in some ways I look at, at, at all the people who are so much younger than me and I think, Oh yeah. Oh, I heard uh, someone shared with, with me after service that there was a little uh, like a little meme thing that said it is it, uh, 1970 is far is as far away from today as 1918 was from 1970. What in the world? So think about that. Like, <laughs> Because 1970 doesn't seem like that that long ago, but that 1970 would be like looking back to 1918. <laughs> That's so crazy. Anyway, anyway, I don't know what were we talking about. Yeah. Your, so your pastoral call yeah, to, to both, those to who are groups. elders so, and those who are young. Yeah. So to both groups, my initial thing I shared was just, I, we want you involved. We need your, the gifts that you have to bring El, elders. We need your shepherding. We need your wisdom. We need your, your guidance. We need you to be involved at all levels across the church. I said, you know, get in the core team, get involved because you can't, 
you can't influence people through with your wisdom and experience if you're not in relationship with them. So we need you here. Uh, and then to, to those, and and to those who are younger, I said, look, and we need you involved. We need to be a church that is, that is responsive and growing and and passionate. We need your energy. We need your new perspectives and ideas. So, so get involved, get in the game. But then to the older generation, I, I asked, I said, look, I know that in a time of crisis, there, there may be, there will be some things that we do or explore or move into that will be uncomfortable for them. And I don't know what those are going to be. And I, I said this, I'm like, I'm not trying to front load some sort of big, scary change or something, but I'm just saying like, I don't know, there may be some programming that we need to do or, or, uh, stylistic things I'm, I'm doing, mm-hmm. I'll be mentioning this this weekend, but I'm in March, I'm going to be doing a Bible class for Bible skeptics. And I can't guarantee that all the things that we talk about are going to be the most comfortable things for people who have mm-hmm. been around church forever. It, because we're going to talk about some really hard, difficult topics. That's part of what needs to happen to reach a younger generation who are very skeptical. So that that may be an example. So I asked, I said, look, we need your wisdom and we need your humility. Will you lead like, like, like the shepherds that, that Peter is calling them to be? Will you lead by, by setting yourself aside, leading at, by lifting up those who are younger and offering your wisdom, not by lording it over, but right. by, by lifting up. Right. We need your grace. We need your Oh, grace. That was the word. What did I say? You said humility, but it's both. That humility is for the young people. Grace <laughs> is for the old people, but it all is all for all, everybody. Thank you, Marin. Yes, we need your grace as, as we do our best to navigate uncharted territory. To the younger people, I flipped it around and I, I basically said, look, essentially like you gotta, you gotta have some humility. You gotta be okay with the fact that we're not going to move as fast as you want us to move. We are not always going to, going to jump into everything that you think we should be jumping into. Like I trying to say, look, look, you you need to to accept that there may be some wisdom by some of the older generation that you don't, you don't inherently have because you haven't lived, you haven't lived life. You haven't experienced everything. You don't know as much as you think, you know, as Aristotle said or whatever, uh, beginning of my message. So all that to say, I asked them, would you bring us your energy in your life? But would you also bring us your humility? Would you be willing to, mm-hmm. to in this season to humble yourselves as they, as the older generation is supporting you, would you lower yourselves and support them? Yeah. And together we can be a strong, healthy and full of love church that, that we want to be. So that was, that was the ask. And I did, you probably want to talk about the barricades. I, <laughs> cause I know you quoted it like seven times in the intro. I did make a, just because it was in a fun mental image for me. I said, look, there may be some things that you believe younger people that you think we, the older generation have it wrong that we just don't understand. And you might be right. I don't know, but what I, but if you need to, if you're going to try to be upset that we don't believe that you've got to do it in humility, share it with us. Yeah. We're going to listen to you. And I, t- I also turned and I was like, we are right. We're going to listen. And I heard a lot of audible. Yes. Yes. We will <laughs> from the older generation. Uh, but, but you can't, you cannot share that truth by just lobbing grenades from behind a barricade of youth or whatever I called it as something like that. A you've youth got barricade. A, a youth barricade. You've got to be in community with people if you're going to try to, to share your perspective. So that's, it's a call to grace. It's a call to humility. That's what I'm, and I, I'm dreaming of a church that can actually do that. I really genuinely think it's possible, even if it's rare. Yeah. I think that it's in many ways, something that we are doing. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that I love the most about who we are as a church. You said, we're never going to be a youth obsessed right. church. 
That's just not, that's just not who we are. Right. And I firmly believe that. I believe that we are a picture of what we see described in Ephesians four. We are a family church. We want to be in close community with people who are different from us. I also think enough of us in the older generation, I'm talking my parents, um, pretty soon me, maybe enough of us have watched our young people walk away from the church Yes, and it breaks our heart Mm -hmm. and we wish we could go back and be better listeners mm. and maybe do some things differently. Yeah. And so I think there is a softness and a humility, even to the older generation. When you said we are going to listen, right? Mm-hmm. The people who were saying, yes, we are going to listen, I think are the people who desire yeah. to listen. Yeah. But we have to have young people here mm-hmm. to listen to. Right. Right. And so it is always going to be a, a, a dynamic of, of push and pull of back and forth of compromise to, to shape ourselves into the kind of church that is both a welcoming place for older people and a welcoming place for younger people. It, yeah. it's just work. It's yeah. a lot of work. That's what Making we're here for. Room. Making, Making room. room. That's right. That's what we do. That's why, that's why it's one of our <laughs> values. Uh, we have these seven, seven values that kind of guide us. And the first one on the list is it's not about me. But the very second one on that list is make room because it's a value of who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our It's Not About Me series. We did it. That was five weeks. That was. Yeah. It was a whole month. Wrapping it up. Where are we heading next? So next week or this coming weekend, we are launching into a relatively long series for us. We usually try to do it by month by month, but this will be all the way through the end of Easter at the weekend after Easter is when we wrap this up. And it is a series looking at the book of John, the gospel of John. And we're going to go through sequentially through the book. We're not going to cover every major event in the book, but we're going to explore John's rather provocative, uh, provocative approach to talking about Jesus. He really paints things in very stark terms. It's black and white. It's light and dark. It's in or out. It's belief. It's doubt. It's like he puts things in really, really stark terms and he's essentially shoving it in the reader's face saying, so is it true? Mm. And, and forcing us as the readers to ask ourselves, is it, is it true? Do I believe this? And so I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really good. And we'll look at that in a bunch of different ways. And um, I'm hopeful that I'll speak personally and I'll probably talk about this this weekend. I have found that through COVID through just the the last few years, it is, it has been easy for my um, some, some aspects of my faith to feel a bit dull and sort of uh, cloudy. Like some of the things that maybe were a bit sharper at some point in my life feel just a little muddled. And so I think this is an opportunity for us to resharpen and to refocus what it actually means to follow Christ. And I'm hopeful that it'll be invigorating for us as we kind of continue on through this year of selflessness. All right. All right. Yeah. And get ready because I think, uh, well, this Sunday we haven't really announced it broadly, but it's going to be kind of a youth takeover weekend from a worship perspective. Oh, I didn't realize Um, that. So they're coming off of their uh, youth retreat. Yeah. Friday and Saturday, and it's kind of going to culminate with uh, a big youth led worship team featuring some middle-aged woman, (laughs) (laughs) all the youth. 
and me. You'll do so, great. Yeah. You've got that youthful glow, I'm sure. <laughs> if it's a little loud, I better look just up, set yourself aside. I better look up some more relevant like TikTok references <laughs> if there's going to be kids listening. So. I was at a thrift store with Desi yesterday yeah. and I found a TikTok sweatshirt <laughs> and I said, should I wear this for youth takeover Sunday? She Jeez. said, I will never look at you again if you wear that sweatshirt. No surprise. No, no surprise. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, hope to see you this weekend. Yeah. And uh, until then, <laughs> Marin, will you send us out? This is so awkward with I know, two we, people. We miss you, Tyler. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'll try. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And we will see you on the other side of Sunday. 